0: you this morning to find your sermon notes. You can follow along as we go. Fill in the blanks if you'd like, most importantly, to talk about it later, pray about it, and live the message that you hear. So the story day is not the story that we're accustomed to, the, the triumphal entry of Jesus down from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, but rather one that happened thousands of years before that, also on a donkey, but a different triumphal entry, if you will, and yet still pointing to the message of the cross. This is the story of Abraham. We're in the 22nd chapter you heard this morning in Genesis. It's really the conclusion of the story, so we're at the very tail end. Abraham is getting near the end of his life. In fact, in chapter 23, the very next chapter, his wife Sarah dies, and then Two chapters later in 25, Abraham himself dies at the age of 175. But it is the story of the promise. At the ripe old age of 75, Abraham was told by God, leave where you live, the land of the Chaldeans. I'm going to show you a new place, a better place. And there you are going to have a son. You're going to have a child. Even though you're 75 and you're childless, you've been waiting your entire life. I am going to give you a son who's going to have so many descendants that they will be like the stars in the night sky, the sand on the seashore. It's going to be such a great blessing that not only will you be blessed, but through him and all of his descendants, the entire world will be blessed. Now, I want you to see in this story, as I hope you do in every story of the Bible, I want to see your story as well. And every story in the Bible with you in the middle of it points to the cross in the empty tomb. So that does not mean that every detail of the story will resonate with you. How many of you have had a child at the age of 90? Anybody? No, that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? And so it was for Abraham and Sarah. You see, they had to wait 25 years. They're given this ludicrous promise Sarah, you're 65, you're going to have a child. Really? And then you have to wait 25 more years for that to be fulfilled. So not every detail of the story is going to resonate with you, but the outcome I hope certainly will. So this is our story as well. And we begin with the promise that life is supposed to be good. Turn to the person next to you and say, life is supposed to be good. And put a little emphasis on the supposed part. All right? Life's supposed to be good. So let me answer you this. Is every part of life good? Say no. No, it's not. There are bad things that happen to good people. There are bad things that happen to bad people. Life isn't always great. And yet we have this idea, especially as children, as a young person. We look forward to all the good things that are going to happen. How many of you remember uh, early birthdays? Anybody remember early birthdays? Now, some of you were really old, so think back. Come on now. Think back to those early birthdays. What was it like? You had your friends come, maybe family come, and what did you get? Gifts. You got gifts, and maybe there was a birthday cake, and you lit the candles, and there was a great party. And your expectation was, this is how it's always going to be. And then Christmas comes around and you have more gifts and then you go the next year and there's Halloween and you get candy and there's Easter and there's candy and there's birthday and there's candy and there's Christmas and there's what? Candy. Always. Life is good. But then you get older and a little bit of reality sets in and it doesn't seem like everything's always good. And even though your perspective narrows a bit, not everything is good, you still believe that in general, life is good. That's the way that God intends it. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, think back to Abraham and Sarah. God has blessed them richly. They left the Ur of the Chaldeans. They're in the new land of Canaan. They've been blessed with all kinds of material goods. They have lots of flocks and herds of animals. They have tons of servants, but they're still missing the one thing that's truly going to make life good for them, and that is a child. And then, miraculously, Sarah becomes pregnant. She has this child at the age of 90. Great story, should be the end of the story. Call it quits pull down the curtain, roll the credits, we're all done. But it's not. It's not the end of the story. Fast forward another 15 years or so, so if you're counting, Abraham is now about 115 years old. He's seeing the end of his life coming soon. The promise has been fulfilled, at least he thinks. Abraham soon will take, or Isaac will soon take a wife. And these descendants that were promised, now he's going to be able to see the fruit of God's promise. And then one day, God says, hey, Abraham, take that son, you know, the one you love. Okay, it's the only one you've got, that one. I want you to take him to a land to which I will point to this mountain to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as a sacrifice to me. Now, please do not misunderstand all of the pagan neighbors. Child sacrifice was a big part of what they did to appease the gods. They would kill their children. God is not telling Abraham that. He abhors that kind of a thing. This is a task. It's only a test. And yet, he is going to allow Abraham to go through to the very end of the test. What he wants him to see is that every good gift that we have comes from God. As Job once said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So everything that we have, your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren, your jobs, your relationships with family, all of your material gifts, all of it, all of it comes from God. And so the test then comes, and we know, of course, that it has a a happy ending there, right? There's a happy ending. And so God is going to provide what is missing, and that is the ram. So The whole thing for us, just as it was for Abraham, is this. Do you believe that the God whom we depend on is trustworthy? So I'm just asking you. Do you believe that the God that you depend on is trustworthy? Raise your hand. Are you sure? Yeah. Well, let's see. Is he trustworthy? Do you trust that God who gives the gift in the first place can give it again? God is asking Abraham, do you believe that this gift that you've been waiting for your entire life, if I take him away, that I can give you another one? His whole life has been about trusting the Lord. You know, in a couple of weeks now, we're going to gather here together again on a Sunday. It's Reformation Sunday. What's the hymn we always sing on Reformation Sunday? Anybody? A mighty fortress is our God. So here are some of the words from that that we often overlook. It says, let goods and kindred go. Goods are all those material things that, that we need, that we, that, we, that we have. Kindred, of course, is our family. And then the line, this mortal life also. If God came to you today and said, I'm going to take away everything that you own, would you still trust him? Now you said you did, but if he took everything away, would you trust him? If you took your family away, and remember you said you trusted him, would you still believe in him? If he said, tomorrow is the last day that you're going to live, would you still trust him? That was the test for Abraham, and that often is our test as well. So we know how it ends. It has a happy ending. We see there, just as Abraham was about to slay his son, remember, Isaac had carried the wood. They'd been traveling for three days. Abraham had the knife and he had the fire. And then, being a bright 15-year-old, Isaac says, Okay, Dad, we've got everything, but but where's the sacrifice? Uh, We're missing the most important ingredient. We've been traveling three days. We're going to go to the mountain. We're going to worship the Lord. We're missing the, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham tells his son, the Lord will provide. And just as he is about then to slay his son, as he lifts up his arm, then the Lord's voice. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. He has passed the test. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, the one that you love, the one is going to be the answer to the promise. For there will be no descendants unless there is an Isaac, unless there is a son. And then he provided the ram for the sacrifice. So Abraham called that place Yahweh yirah Can you say that? Yahweh yirah The Lord will provide. Now, if you are a faithful Orthodox Jew, you can never say the name of God, Yahweh, and so you'll say Adonai. So Adonai, uh, Yirah, Either way, Yahweh, Yirah, or Adonai, uh, Yirah, The Lord will provide. So let's answer the question, can you let your life go? Do you trust the Lord so much the giver of all good things, that if you were to take it all away, just like with Job, you would not curse his name, but you would say again his words, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, here's the problem. These are the words of T.S. Eliot, who once said, half the harm in the world is done by people, not by evil people. I guess that's the other half. But half the harm in the world is done by people who want to feel important. So let me ask you, is it wrong to want to feel important? Shake your head and say no. How many of you would like to feel important? Anybody? How many of you would like to feel valued? How many of you would like to feel worthwhile? I think we all would. We all want to feel like we are valued. The problem is this. Nothing wrong with wanting to feel important. The problem is that we often try to seize our importance and our significance from someone else. You know how it goes. If I degrade someone else and I look better. We always tell our kids not to do that and yet as adults we often do it as well. How many of you would be great with the idea that you would decrease If someone else can increase. Someone else can be the star. They can be the ones who shine. They can be the ones who get all the credit for your work. It's a very difficult thing. Well, here's the point for the morning. Our our worth is not found in our accomplishments. Our worth, our value is not found in all that we accumulate. But rather, our value, our importance... Is found in Jesus Christ. Here in back of us, and, and Joe pointed to it earlier, this cross is always at the very center of who we are and what we do. Just as Isaac was carrying all that wood for the sacrifice, we have this pile of wood now hanging there on the wall to remind us that just as Isaac was was riding on the donkey. Jesus also rode on the donkey, not up the mountain to Moriah, but rather down the mountain to Jerusalem. And he would be the sacrifice, not a ram that is caught there by its horns in the thicket, but rather the Lamb of God who voluntarily, who willingly gives himself up for you and for me. He is slain, not with a knife, but with the nails that pierce his hands and his feet, and by the sins of the entire world, of you and me, of Abraham and Isaac, and all the patriarchs, and all the disciples, and all the apostles, and yes, all those evil people as well. Jesus has paid the price. Our worth and our value come in him. And just a few minutes after our service here, after we're all finished, we're going to gather, there's going to be a group of people because two young children are going to come to this font to be baptized. And you've seen this hundreds of times here, whether at Emmanuel or some other church, where the babies are brought. And we emphasize the fact that the babies are receiving this gift of life And they're getting a new name, not not their given name, but rather their Christian name. It's the sign of the cross, which they can remember for the rest of their life, the one that a lot of you did during the service and will do again. The reminder that because of what God has done, that child now is going to have the mark of God. They're going to have the name of God forever. Now, what is it that a baby can do besides cry and eat and sleep? Not much. But its value is given to it because of its parents. Those parents love that child, even though it hasn't accomplished a thing. Hasn't done anything at all, and so your Father in Heaven loves you as well. Simply because you are his adopted child. And then he asked every single one of us, just like he did Abraham, Abraham, can you give up the gift and trust in the giver? Abraham believed, and we know this from the book of Hebrews, that even if God required him to kill his child, that he would raise him up from the dead. Just as in the story of Job, where Job lost everything seven sons, three daughters thousands of camels and donkeys and sheep and oxen. In the midst of his suffering, not only when he had lost everything, but he was suffering with boils, was wearing the sackcloth and the ashes, and his good wife says, you might as well just give up, curse God, and die because it's only going to get worse. Job again says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you trust the giver of the gift? And so I'm going to ask you this morning, can you let go not only of the things that you love, the things that give your life meaning and beauty and purpose, your house and your possessions, your career, your job, All the things that give you security and certainty and even pleasure. Can you give up all of that stuff as well as the people that you love? In other words, can you dedicate everything and give it over to God, including your children? Can you trust in the giver? rather than the gift to give your life meaning. I want to close with this. It's a true story about a pastor. His name was James Angel. Not a bad name for a pastor, James Angel. The story goes like this. It was on a Saturday night. James is the pastor. It was the Saturday before Easter Sunday, the most important message of the year. He had prepared everything. He was going to bed. And then he gets the call that every parent dread. It was from the highway patrol. His 21-year-old daughter, Susan, was going to visit her parents there. She was going to be there late in the evening, go to church with them on Easter Sunday, and then have a family dinner. And the highway patrolman tells the father that your your daughter has been killed. There was a drunk driver. And she's gone. I don't know how in the world he did it, but this man now, the very next morning, without any sleep, after spending the entire night going through all the details that come with an unexpected death, and now without any sleep at all, climbs into the pulpit. And on that Sunday morning, he proclaims to his congregation that the promise is still true, that the victory has been won. And he admonished all of them, trust the giver of the gift of life and not just the gift itself. Now he admitted that over the next couple of years, it was incredibly difficult, as I can only imagine losing your child in such a way. And he said that at times it felt like he was at the very end of his rope, and all he could do is is trust that God would tie a knot there on the end for him to hang on to. He lived with that tremendous pain for several years until one day, and he says, in a book that he wrote later called Oh Susan, in honor of his daughter. He said, it may not happen this way for you, it happens differently for everyone, but somewhere, sometime, somehow, God is going to give you an opportunity to make a choice, one of two. And he said, for me it happened this way, a man came into my study at the church and he pointed at me and he said, Jim, here's your choice, you can either continue to whimper as you have, to wallow in your self-pity, to focus on your loss, or you can embrace the gift. And no, I'm not talking about the accident as a gift because it's not. I'm not talking about the tragedy as a gift because it's not. What I'm talking about, the man said, is, is the gift of insight and wisdom that you can now share with other people to make their life finer and richer as well. Trust the giver of the gift of life and not the gift itself. For just like with Isaac and with Job, if the gift is taken away, the giver remains. And just as with the Lamb of God, if God gave life once, he can do it again. And he can do it in your life as well. No matter what the circumstances of this life present to you, no matter what the news might be tomorrow, whether it's it's cancer, or whether it's Alzheimer's, or whether it is the loss of a child, or the loss of a relationship. Trust in the one who gives every good gift. Trust in the one who brings the peace that this world can never give. For if God has given life to you once, he can do it again. Amen? Amen. Let's all rise now and make profession of our faith this morning through the words of the Apostles' Creed.